0: Shalom, everyone. This is David Parsons of the Christian Embassy in Jerusalem welcoming you to our weekly webinar. It's Thursday, 4 p.m., bringing you another exciting and urgent topic uh, here. Today, we're going to be covering the recent Iran-Saudi uh, normalization deal. Uh, a a uh, There has been a break in their relations, but they're making amends. It's quite surprising and shocking to to most people, did not expect this because Iran and its nuclear threat, the war in Yemen, uh, came as a surprise. And we're going to talk about its impact on Israel and the region and even the world, the whole dynamic because China brokered this, the whole dynamic between China and America and Russia and uh, this new multipolar world we're entering. And our guest today, to help us sort this out, We have a returning uh, again, our special guest, the IDF Brigadier General in the Reserves, Amir Avivi. He's the founder and president of the Israel Defense and Security Forum, IDSF. Good to see you again, General Avivi. Thank you very much, David, it's a really pleasure. Thanks for being with us. Uh, And I just want everyone to know if you need translation, we have French, Portuguese, Spanish, and Thai. Uh, over on the, uh, uh, in under the interpretation uh, function over on our Zoom call. If you're on Facebook Live or, or on a YouTube channel watching this, you go over during the Zoom Live, you can have the translation there into those languages. Okay, so uh, Iran and Saudi Arabia reached uh, a normalization of relations accord in early March that caught... Uh, much of Israel and the West by surprise, Uh, and part of the surprise is that it was brokered by China. The U.S. had been trying to at least uh, stabilize the region by getting uh, the Saudis and Iranians together in some way. weren't successful, and it was China that actually did this uh, in early March after four days of of, uh, very discreet talks. In Beijing, the Chinese government was able to get the parties together and announce a normalization of relations again. So the background to this, uh, General Vivi can fill in more about this, but you have a long historic rivalry between the Persians and the Arabs. There's a lot of history of wars and conflicts there. Uh, as well as the Sunni-Shia rivalry within Islam, that schism and that split, where uh, Saudi Arabia, as the guardians of or Mecca and Medina, are seen as the really the heads of the uh, of the Sunni world, Sunni Muslim world, and the Shiites, of course, uh, the Iranian regime claims to be at the forefront of of that uh, branch of of Islam. And uh, since the Ayatollahs took over in the Islamic Revolution in Iran in 1979, there have been several breaks in diplomatic relations uh, between Iran and Arab countries, including the Saudis. There were the 1987 riots on the Hajj, and Egypt after uh, terrorists-affiliated, militiamen affiliated with Iran uh, assassinated Anwar Sadat in 1981 over the Israel... Egypt peace treaty. The latest rupture between Iran between uh, Iran and Saudi Arabia happened seven years ago, 2016 when a uh, Iranian mob, they stormed and burned the uh, Saudi embassy in Tehran in protest of uh, Riyadh uh, um, executing a radical Shiite cleric who was encouraging terrorism. But China's managed to put them back together, and uh, we may even see Iranian President Raisi visiting Riyadh very soon. So, General Vivi, help us understand, did this come as a surprise to you? Were you expecting something along these lines? And it's sort of a big-picture review here, what you want to fill in and how we got to this moment, and, and why are they coming together now? Thank you very much, David. So, actually,
1: three weeks ago, I spent a week in Washington. We met uh, with more than 20 senators and congressmen, and we talked about this reality. So, we anticipated it uh, two weeks before it happened, and now I'm getting many phone calls from Washington. How did we know? How did we understand this is happening? Um, and uh, no, we were not surprised. And we have to really understand the larger context. So, looking really at the big picture, I would say this: we we we've seen a steadily uh, growing, uh, strength, growing strength, growing strengths of the East overall, and over the West. It's a long process. Uh, we see the Chinese economy growing constantly, and, and the way they are affecting economical. The whole globe economically. Uh, we seen India uh, growing a lot. We see the East also technologically uh, moving and advancing all the time and challenging the West. This is a process where the East is uh, getting more and more dominant uh, in the, uh, the in the globe at the expense of the West, and, and it's not it doesn't come as a surprise that for the U.S. and the, for both administration whether it's Democrats or Republicans, China is perceived as the biggest uh, emanating threat to the U.S. Now, in the last year, we have witnessed a very, very deep and big change in the global arena, and this change is due to the Russian-Ukrainian war. Basically, uh, the Russian-Ukrainian war, I would say, is a sign of the challenge the East is posing on, on the West. And the answer of the West to this challenge was imposing imposing very, very uh, tough sanctions uh, on the on Russia. We know that for a long time there's also to a certain uh, level sanctions on, on Iran and even on China. And this reality is creating a dynamic where the East is getting closer and closer together more and more coordinated and the countries in the east are becoming more and more dependent on china today russia in order to function send oil uh, buy goods that become very very dependent on the chinese economy the same goes for iran iran signed a huge deal with uh, china uh, and Iran is selling today most, most of its uh, natural resources and to China. The same goes with the, uh, North Korea. So the East is getting closer and closer together and is creating an Eastern Bloc. Now, the way the East is looking at the West, they are looking at the West and saying, OK, we recognize that the West is superior uh, in a mid- the, in uh, With its military, especially in the US. The US is stronger militarily than all of them together Russia, China. The US has a very, very big and strong uh, army. But having said that, what the East sees is zero willingness of the West to lose power. The only thing the West is willing to do is to impose sanctions. And the East, and uh, this is the bad view, has adapted to this sanction. That able to, not entirely, but mostly overcome them by trading mainly among themselves, because we are talking here about huge economies. And they're managing to really bypass sanctions. And the moment they understand that the West is not willing to use, to use their power, only sanctions, like, and they can overcome them, this emboldens them. This, this makes them understand that they can pretty much do whatever they want whether it's Russia attacking Ukraine, whether it's Iran expanding its militias all over the Middle East and moving forward with the the production of future nuclear capabilities, whether it's North Korea challenging again and again, Japan and the U.S. and South Korea, and China that is expanding its economical influence throughout the world. And the world is not stabilized. The moment the West is not willing to stand strong, the world is not stabilized. So we have seen already in December, the director of CIA is saying saying clearly to the administration, there is a Russian-Iranian front. In the Middle East, Russia has become very dependent on Iranian technology, UAVs, missiles. Uh, the Iranian military industry, and Russia, because it's dependent on Iraq, is willing to also assist Iran militarily. So they've become very close together, and this is a threat to the Middle East. And what we said two few weeks ago in the U.S., we said, look, the Saudis and the Emirates, oh, they're looking at that. They see this eastern bloc standing on the borders. They look back, and they ask, where is the West? is the west with us or not and they are in a, in, a, in a moment where they have to decide when are they going to put their alliance is is that the shift of power going towards the east and now the Middle East through the ally itself is china and russia or is the West still uh, with the arab world now the west is doing a very very poor job in convincing the Sunni world that they are allies. Uh, we have had a very, very long strategic uh, alignment between the U.S. and Saudi Arabia, which started in 1945 with Franklin Delano Roosevelt, meeting with the uh, Saudi king and signing an agreement that America would defend the Saudis, and the Saudis will um, provide oil for America. This has lasted until Obama's administration. At the time of Obama, it was the first time in the history of the U.S. that the U.S. because of the uh, the, the technologies that enhance production uh, of oil, a uh, fracking industry mostly, uh, managed to be completely dependent, not only independent, uh, talking about energy, but the US for the first time became an exporter of oil, a huge exporter of oil. And in this sense, the Middle East lost its importance. And Obama, looking at this new reality, said, okay, if I'm not uh, minded to, and to, I have to rely on the Saudis, I can open my thinking about who I want to do business with. And Obama was inclined to strengthen the relations with Iran, which is an existential threat. Iran is an existential threat for the Sunni world, and also with the Muslim Brotherhood, with also an organization that is also an existential threat for the Sunni regimes. So this shook the Middle East. Suddenly I understood that it's not sure that America would stand with them. And they are asking themselves, okay, this is an existential threat for us. And America is not a hundred percent behind us. We need to really think again. What do we do? This, by the way, created the reality where they came to Israel. The reason why we have the Abraham Accords is mostly the decisions Obama made at the time, which convinced the Arab world that they need to rely on Israel in order to be able to deal with the Iranians. So what is happening now is the Saudis um, are signaling. It's not that they are now in an alliance with Iran, not at all. But they are signaling to the US and to Europe that if they don't wake up and if they don't pin the coalition with Israel, with the Saudis, with the Sunni world against Iran, if they don't, if they are not willing to pull the credible military threat on the Iranian nuclear program, the Saudis might need to consider it again, their alliance, and get maybe get much closer to China. So when I'm looking at this agreement, first of all, not surprising at all, I anticipated that. Second, it's not yet done, it's not that now Saudis are with the Iranians, not at all, but the signaling to the West, and the the big question is what will happen now? And what we, we explained in in, in, uh, in Washington is very important to understand. There are two scenarios talking about Israel. One scenario is that uh, the U.S. still doesn't leave they stay behind. Maybe they assist Israel with some capabilities. And at the end of the day, Israel will have to deal with the with the nuclear uh, program of iraq Now, if we do it by ourselves, the result of that will be regional war because Iran will command Hezbollah, Hamas, the Houthis in Yemen, the militia in Iraq to shoot rockets, missiles, send UAVs against Israel. We will go into a regional war, and this regional war will bring. World recession. It will bring a huge surge of oil prices. It will bring instability. It will affect something that is already not functioning and not really working well, which is the global global supply chain. That is pretty dysfunctional at the moment. It will be much worse because most of the goods of the world go through the Middle East, from East to West and from West to East. And this will all be affected. This is in a scenario where Israel needs to deal alone with the Iranian threat, and the Iranians, because if Israel alone will be involved and and, and reassured that they can attack us uh, and deal with us. But then another scenario. And the other scenario is that the Saudis are saying, we are willing to sign peace with Israel. We are willing not only to sign peace, we are willing to bring Pakistan, Indonesia, a huge Muslim country, Oman, to this space. We are willing to do a very, very big peace agreement. But not only that, we are also willing to enhance oil production and take the prices down. We we know how challenging it is for the West now. The the surging prices with the US, West, Europe, and the Saudis are saying we are willing to produce more oil and take down the prices. But not only that, they are also saying that they are willing to open a new route of global supply chain. It's a route that basically uh, President Biden, when he came to Israel, talked about. He came to Israel and he did a very interesting Zoom in Israel. This Zoom there were the, the uh, Indians, UAE, and Israel. Now, if you open them up and you look at India, you will see that India, the shortest way to go from India to the Middle East is from India to UAE, to Abu Dhabi. You don't even need to go into the Hormor, straight. and arrive to Abu Dhabi, and there you build a train from Abu Dhabi through Saudi Arabia, Jordan, all the way to Israel, or the Jordanian-Israeli border, you have a trail to Haifa. And it doesn't come as a surprise that Israel has invested huge huge amounts of money in building new ports. We doubled our port in Haifa, and now one port is managed by the Chinese, another port is managed by the Indians. We doubled our ports in uh, Ashdod, and one port is managed by the Europeans. And the other one by Israel, the only big country that doesn't have a stake in our ports globally is the U.S. Why? I don't have a good answer why the U.S. doesn't have a want a stake here, but everybody has a stake here. So everybody is interested in moving the global supply chains for Israel, and this will take a month of global trade. So today the option is from India to go through the Suez Canal, through Egypt. This takes a month more. That's what I'm talking here. Moving it straight to Abu Dhabi and from Abu Dhabi with train to Israel. But in order to do that, and this is again, this is Biden. Biden's idea. You need peace. You need peace with Saudi Arabia in order to to move the goods through Saudi Arabia. So look at the option. One option is complete destabilization of the Middle East. Recession, surging oil prices, instability, and the other option is huge peace agreement, oil prices going down, new routes of course and deterrence. Now what we are saying to the Americans is look, you have the Russia, you have the Chinese, these are very big countries, don't challenge them straight away. We don't challenge them. Let's go to the weak link. The weak link is, the, is Iran. So, if you challenge Iran, not only you stabilize the Middle East, because Hezbollah, Hamas, all of these guys, if you have a, a strong alliance with the US, the Saudi world, and Israel, no one will challenge. Hezbollah won't kill itself by challenging a coalition, America, Sunni, Israeli coalition. Neither will Hamas. So then you can prevent this uh, possible regional war. And it's enough to not, you don't have to fight with Iran. It's enough to really pose a credible military threat to already change reality. And let's say that the Iranians don't stop and we need to attack. This is not the Iraqi war. This is not Afghanistan. Destroying Iranian nuclear capabilities. Is one big major air attack. That's it. In two hours, nothing will be left. Hmm. That's it. It's not a 20 years old. years war. It's not a boots on the ground. It's not conquering a state. It's an air attack. But if America, with the Saudis, with the Israelis, with the UAE, with all this power and intelligence and capability, do it were able, in a very short time, not only to destroy completely the program, but also really affect the war between Russia and Ukraine, because Russia is independent on Iran. If you stop Iraq, this will affect also uh, the war in Ukraine. If you stop Iraq, this will deter the the Chinese from being aggressive in Taiwan. Because then it will show what needs to be shown that the West is winning to fight, if needed. And it's not that we believe that, you know, every every problem you need to solve with military power. But if you are not winning at all, to use power, you are bringing wars, not preventing wars. You are, you are destabilizing the globe because there are nations who are willing to use power. And if they see somebody else afraid, they attack. This is it what the West why why did they permit themselves to attack Ukraine? Because they perceived the West and not willing to fight. And now it's Ukraine, but now it will be another state. Uh, another thing that we explain is that the West wants to stabilise the situation in Ukraine. So obviously dealing with the Iranians will help. But it's not only about that. I mean today Israel of course, we are in alliance with the U.S., but we also keep options open. We need good relations with the Russians as well. So we need we're coordinating with them in in Syria, and we need to keep good relations. But imagine that the U.S. comes to Israel and says, okay, Israelis, we are building a coalition with the U.S. are willing to lead and challenge the Iranians. But if we do this, we want you Israelis to assist dramatically Ukraine. Of course, you'll assist know, dramatically Ukraine if this will be the case, if the US is willing to build the coalition and challenge the Iranians. And we can shift the whole thing around. If Israel decides to bring these technologies to Ukraine, this is a game changer. What we can do, no country can do. So there's a lot to gain. From the US stepping forward. And, and this is what we are trying to do. And this is what also the Saudis are trying to convince the US that they need to change policy and step forward. The CIA understands that, the American army understands that, the administration is not moving fast enough. So the Saudis are starting to pressure more, saying, you know what? We're not going to move forwards. Okay. The Chinese option is not a bad option for us. And we are willing to contemplate. And this is the message that is sent to America, but it's still not the number one choice of the Saudis. Saudis would rather have a strong West supporting them with Israel than giving up to the Chinese, Russians, and, and, and Iranians. They understand that this guy not necessarily will be really on the side of the home, but we are in a very, very dangerous moment. And if the U.S. doesn't step forward, and we won't see a change, and uh, this might be pretty devastating.
0: Thank you for that excellent uh, overview and, and assessment of, of where we are. Some really, really good points there. I know Israel, uh, General Vivi, has for years had to sort of navigate living here in the center of, of, of the earth that, you know, they put a premium on, on the U.S.-Israel relationship, but Jerusalem also wants relations with the Chinese and also had good relations with Russia before the Ukraine war. Even even Israel had a little more free reign to attack Iranian interests, Iranian and Hezbollah targets in, inside Syria. Without the, you know, the Russians getting too upset, but all that has sort of changed, and and uh, Putin is trying to create this multipolar world where the U.S. is no longer the big boss, and there's several different poles of of power, and and forcing people to choose sides. Uh, when we think of the Saudi decision, Crown Prince uh, bin Salman. Uh, Really making this decision to go with China? How much of a factor was uh, back in two thousand nineteen? I I think it was probably part of the the Yemen civil war. The the uh, the Iranians are backing the rebels there. The Uyti rebels. The the Saudis are backing the regime. That Iran, Iranian um, proxies launched this coordinated attack on the Saudi oil fields in the east with the guided missiles and drones that all showed up at once, very coordinated, well-timed, and showed their abilities. And I understand the Saudis wanted the U.S. to help them retaliate. I remember speaking with you earlier this year where you said, if someone attacks Israel, we never let it go unanswered. But the Saudis didn't respond. I understand it was because the U.S. would not back them or help them on that. How big a factor was that in bin Salman now calculating, I have to go east to China to get uh, more stability or security for my country? Well, so, David, you're uh, you
1: making a very, very important point because what we saw in this attack uh, is basically That all of the American technologies, which deal with detection and air defense, didn't function and didn't do the job. So the Iranians, with a coordinated attack from Iran and from Yemen, managed to really inflict a huge damage to the oil fields of Saudi Arabia without. The American technology managing to stop that. We see, by the way, the same problem with missile attacks by Iranian proxies on American bases, whether it's missile attacks on Norway, and also the, the level of success of American weapon systems to stop that are not good. And this makes the Saudis very, very nervous. On top of that, America didn't retaliate. Didn't defend them. Didn't challenge the Iranians afterwards. And this made the Saud wonder how much this alliance is worthwhile. Because if the technologies are not good enough and on top of that, there is no motivation to fight and defend, this becomes a serious problem. And this is why, by the way, on one hand, we think this movement towards uh, China, but also at the same time, we see closer and closer relations with Israel because of Israeli technologies and relied. We have to remember that Israel has proved again and again that it's able to intercept rockets. It's able to detect UAVs, even small ones, and destroy them in in many different ways, from the sea, from the ground. With airplanes, uh, with choppers, we well, have well, many different ways to do it, and until now we are pretty successful in doing that. So obviously, um, the Sunni world is interested in Israeli technologies, and and, and this has become a very big market. We're sending more and more Israeli technologies that assist the, the Sunni world against this Iranian threat, and getting closer. But again, all of that, without an American umbrella, and then a, a clear a, a commitment, is very, very problematic.
0: Um, the uh, the calculations of Crown Prince, Ben Salman, I think you mentioned it, but maybe we need a little more on this. That he decided to go use China as a broker to improve relations with with China, they're a big uh, trade partner, but how much of the, his calculation is that this will finally force Washington's hand to come give us the security guarantees we're demanding. Even even the peace with, you know, an accord, a normalization accord with Israel, the Saudis joining the Abraham Accords, the Saudis have made clear its condition, not only in Jerusalem does, but that, that we want out of the U.S. security guarantees, F- Perhaps F 35s. We want help with a civilian nuclear program. They got a little wish list that it, Washington has to fulfill, and then to make peace with Israel. So he's trying to get Washington to finally come to him by saying, I'm going on a date with China. Yes. But also, we have to remember that
1: America has treated him to really badly. Yeah. No, they're killing him for the old Hatuji. Killing of that journalist, and uh, unfortunately, I think that the administration is mixing between real politics and global interest. Truthful. what they feel, you know, us is a specific problem with the with him as a leader, and uh, you know, when you start mixing some value with real politics, sometimes it's really problematic. They need to step out of this. They need to understand that, uh, yes, Saudi Arabia is not perfect, it's a monarchy, not a democracy, neither is Iran, uh, and the, uh, that the relationship between the U.S. and Saudi Arabia are critical and, and are more important to global stability than what they think about ground prince. Uh, on how accountable they feel he is uh, talking about uh, the journalist is that uh, is accused of uh, ordering his killing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think that this is the kind of talk we saw in Washington and the big question is uh, does the, is the administration able willing, really move forward and understand that they need critically they need, they need this relationship uh, and we and commit to it and decide that we are strengthening our coordination and building a coalition. You know, at, uh, at Trump's administration, uh, Israel was moved from Yuko to Sankum. Sankum is in charge of uh, the Middle East and the preparations against Iran. So this created a reality which is very good, but then it enables us to be much more coordinated because we are all operating mm-hmm. under an umbrella of Senegal. And we have very long yeah. relations with the Central Command of the U.S. and so the other countries, but military good relations, even big drills that we are doing together now. It's great. It's not enough. We need the administration's commitment to build the coalition, start dealing seriously with the this Iranian threat.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I want to uh, touch on a couple aspects that the Saudi um, uh, Iranian rapprochement to region. one is the war in the civil war in Yemen, the Iranians back inside the uh, Saudis the other. And but now it looks like they've had a uh, relatively successful ceasefire for a year or so and they now want to renew that, and are we going to see Iranian arms shipments stop to the Houthi rebels in in Yemen, and is it going to reduce the threat to Israel from coming from Yemen? The
1: Iranians have global aspirations, and the part of their global aspirations is called a uh, critical uh, strains. Where global trade more so they want to control the they want to control Mande, which is the entrance towards uh, egypt and they are operating very strong around morocco challenging morocco by weaponizing polisario that is the organization that is uh, uh, fighting morocco over west sahara they're weaponizing algeria against morocco they're trying to infiltrate Shia into Morocco which is a Sunni country and this brought Morocco to decide to broker peace with Israel and sign a military MOU. Morocco is the first Arab country that signed a military MOU and arrived with the chief of staff and Israeli generals visiting there all the time and it's you know when you look at the map and you look what Morocco is look at the world in Iraq so far away and you ask yourself, how come Iran is investing so much effort to bring down Morocco? And the answer is very simple. Morocco Straight to is Gibraltar. All the to training. Yeah. So, Iran is not going to give up its aspiration. They have a very, very clear strategy. They want to take control of all the most critical strains on the globe. <laughs> And, and and therefore, they are going to continue uh, weaponizing the footies. They are going to do everything they can to strengthen their control of knowledge and Babel Monde. And the same goes for Morocco and their brother. Mm-hmm. Um, they are not going to stop. You uh, everything true. they do is they uh, just another
0: step in their overall uh, strategy. That That's interesting. I think this is probably new to a, a lot of our folks. It's a, somewhat new to me, this angle of their activity in the Western Sahara and challenging Morocco there. The, how this, the, it's a conflict that's been going on a while, but Iran is a jackpot The way they are doing this, because it's far away, they are doing this with the Hezbollah. Hezbollah is trying to south. They're they're the bad guys. That's the next question, Uh, is the, you know, you have both in Syria and in Lebanon, you have the Sunnis siding, uh, they're backed by Saudi Arabia, the Hezbollah, the Shiites, the Alawite regime, the Assad regime in Syria, backed by Iran. Is this going to bring a little more stability uh, to those regions? With uh, Iran and Saudi Arabia trying to cooperate more.
1: No, it's not going to be instability. Iran is going to continue to push forward and try to gain as much control as it can in in Syria and on the Jordanian border. Israel is all the time attacking. Iranian positions and distancing Iran from the Israeli border, and also trying to prevent Iranian uh, capabilities from moving from Iran to Lebanon. We managed to a certain extent, but it's not a half a percent. Uh, the Sunnis in Syria, uh, you have ISIS, you have Al Qaeda, you have other groups that are fighting and fighting the uh, on one side, they're fighting the Iranians. On the other side, they're fighting the Turks. On the other side, they're fighting the, they're the Syrians that are backed up by Russia. So a very, very big mess. And it's not going to stop. And we also need to look at what's going on in Lebanon. Lebanon is, I would say, a non-functional state. It pretty much collapsed. It's it not functioning. Uh, and the Shizbada is pretty strong and... Managing to really control what's going on there. But the question is, for how long? And the same goes for Iraq. We see two countries, Iran and Lebanon, that are really, really uh, suffering from very bad economic situation, instability. And, and on the other hand, militarily, Iran and, and also Hezbollah are getting capabilities and strong. And the question is, what will happen first? Are they going to collapse? Maybe in Iran, have a revolution, even in Libya, or civil war? Or are we going to confront them? Are we going to fight ourselves in a confrontation that can happen in three ways? One is because we'll be proactive. We will, uh, let's say, attack in Iranian nation, then this will be war. Or maybe now, for example, today we started the Avadan in Israel. Now oh, that is a very sensitive time. Maybe something with Gaza, Laksa, something will happen. We need some kind of regional uh, war or a strategic decision by Iran to surprise us and attack. Now Iran has a bit bending around us for many many years these militias and they're getting stronger and stronger and it's reaching a point where iran might say okay we've got to some peak this is the right moment to challenge and surprise israel and this might happen and we need to be ready for all these uh, scenarios this is the new challenge for the idf and i can say that the current situation inside israel what we are witnessing is not helping us. This is the only deteriorating Our deterrence. It makes it's by a feel that we are what what the, uh, uh, Nasrallah has been saying for many years that Israeli society, like a spider's web, looks strong from afar, but if you touch it, it's very soft. And I don't believe what he says is true, but again, it's not about what we think, it's about what he thinks. And if we feel that really Israeli society is not strong enough, and the idea is a bit shaken by this uh, insubordination that we see at a certain extent,
0: this might bring war on us, and we'll have to deal with it. I I want to ask how this Iran Saudi deal, uh, as you said, it's right now they've announced that they will do agreements and continue no, negotiating normalization agreements. That it's not a peace accord or treaty itself, but there's a whole process to do. But if if the Saudis are really serious about going down this road, Washington doesn't react the way the Saudis want. Uh, how is this gonna change Israel's calculations concerning the Iranian nuclear threat? There was, a, I think an Israeli official who recently said that Iran, if it took a political decision to make a nuclear warhead, they could do it within 12 days. The IAEA even said they, they've they got uranium enriched to about 85% is just a little step. You know, how does this change Israel? Uh, Israel's thinking about being prepared and and even willing to carry out a decision to carry out uh, an attack on Iran's nuclear program. So well,
1: Israel is facing two choices: one, is relying on itself and giving um, with with this threat by ourselves with some level of coordination, they are very Saudis, or when really you convincing the U.S. and the West to step forward and do something about that. Uh, I think that uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu is very, very focused on trying to bring the U.S. and Europe on board. This is why he went to Italy, this is why he went to Germany, this is why he's gone to Britain. All these meetings have to do with convincing uh, the West to stand firm against Iran and from the europeans we expect to snap back the jcpoa meaning uh, go back to severe sanctions against iran and uh, the u.s we expect to lead uh, and build a coalition uh, and at the same time the idf is preparing for what it needs to do to deal with this today uh, with this right and if we mean so, we will we'll do it by ourselves But again, this is uh, not a good choice. It's not a good choice
0: for us, and it's not a good choice for the world. Mm. And we will have to see what happens. Yeah, I I think you said that Israel, with the US in uh, in a coalition, you could destroy uh, Iran's nuclear facilities within two hours, but you'd have probably months and months of the fallout from these Iranian proxies in the region and, and how you bring that back under control um i think uh we want to uh end up focusing on how this deal impacts the whole momentum of the Abraham accords because Israel you know made peace with the United Arab Emirates with Bahrain there was talk of Oman next Morocco came in <clears throat> and then Netanyahu says my priority now is to get a deal with the Saudis bring them into the Abraham accords is the the Israeli dream of peace with Saudi Arabia now further off? Is it still salvageable? Uh, would Crown Prince bin Salman in Riyadh still make his, a, a separate peace with, with Israel just as a bilateral deal? So I think there's a very good chance for peace with Saudi
1: Arabia, but the Saudis and the righteous Saw, are saying we're not going to, do this without full American commitment. They're not going to spend this huge price without getting something from that. And what they need is U.S. commitment. So they're offering a very, very big offer. As I said, it's peace, reducing oil prices, it's new robust uh, supply chains and so on. But they expect, something in return. You don't give such a price for nothing. Uh, so they're keeping this uh, option open, uh, trading, and, and basically saying to Netanyahu, you have the relationship, you have the experience and with the U.S. You are close to Biden. Broker this deal. Biden give us a win, a win-win here. Mm-hmm. And this is a very big challenge for Netanyahu. Will really manage to convince Biden the administration. This is the right way to vote. And uh, to do the right thing, to side with us, and to earn this uh, a very really big peace agreement that we can manage to do. Mm-hmm. Now, talking overall about peace agreements, I ought to remind you basically that we had amazing relations, the Iranians. We had peace agreement, and see how we tended. We had very good relations with the Turks for many years. This on deteriorated. Peace between Israel and Arab countries is first and foremost based on interest, on real interest. As long as we have alliance of interest, we love peace. And with this peace, we can push new interests like uh, technology, economy, uh, culture, things like that. But this will work as long as there are interests. Without this interest, peace might not last as it didn't last with the ramen. So we need to build on this interest for that. We need the U.S.
0: much more involved. Okay, we really appreciate your, your time, your expertise, uh, your insights even dealing with uh, American officials, probably officials from the Pentagon and, and the political echelon in Washington uh, in trying to communicate the, how this has impacted uh, Israel And uh, I think you hit on a very good point that um, uh, that President Roosevelt at the end of World War II went on a ship. He was already in a wheelchair, but he went on a a big battleship off the coast of Saudi Arabia and made a promise to the king of Saudi Arabia. We'll make a trade. We will guarantee your security if you guarantee the free flow of oil and cheap oil that doesn't come to us at exorbitant prices. And that, uh, there was the oil embargo in 63 and all, but that deal basically held through the Bush II administration, but it was Obama and now Biden, after President Trump, Biden reviving some of Obama's policies that walked away from that sort of deal by trying to uh, court Iran and and, uh, shift Iran. to, to whatever, pro-Western policies or something, but it's a new dynamic. We'll have to see where this goes. Are arms shipments gonna start to Yemen? I think that's a key uh, factor. What are some of the key things to be looking at in the weeks ahead to say this thing is irreversible, the Saudis have shifted to China and this deal with Iran or or that they're hedging their bets and they'll still try and move back to the West. David, first, you know, before I address that, uh, I wanna say that you know when when
1: you look at really this huge challenges, the Iranian moving towards a uh, possible nuclear capabilities, even the ability to build ten bombs. This is what they're doing. Building capability, not for one or shoot ten nuclear bombs, which might bring proliferation of nuclear capabilities all over the Middle East. The Saudis are getting ready for that. They have agreements with Pakistan to purchase bombs. They don't even need to produce them. The Egyptians have their programs. The Jordanians, everybody is getting ready and this can be devastating. You see all these rockets are going around us. And when I describe all this, you know people tell me well this Everything looks terrible. We have no hope. Mm-hmm. I say, you know, guys, I'm, I'm really optimistic <laughs> because you know, we're the Jewish people. We have got a size at the end of the day, mm-hmm. and 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 I think that we are really, you know, it's really this moments when 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 you understand that you cannot rely just on power. This is about believing, it's about believing, believing mm-hmm. in, in, in who we are, in, in the fact that we have God with us, and uh, that will overcome all of that. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think this is a big test for us. It's a big test because it's very easy in this reality to become gloomy and say, you know, what's going on and what can we do? But I know it in the bottom of my heart that we are going to win. We are going to win big time, and you cannot win without understanding that it's not just about airplanes and about intelligence and about alliances. Mm -hmm. It's about understanding that while the strongest power remains with us. Mm We just need to do our side, and God will do what he needs to do to make sure that we overcome
0: these challenges. Okay, we just want you to know, uh, General Beebe, that there are millions of Christians around the world standing with Israel, praying with Israel, advocating for Israel and and her defense. And uh, we're behind you, and I agree completely in your statement of faith and confidence in, in Israel and in the God of Israel. And uh, we thank you for your time again. We've been speaking with uh, IDF Brigadier General in the Reserves, uh, Amir Avivi. He's the founder and uh, president uh, or chairman of the Israel Defense and Security Forum, the IDSF. What is it in Hebrew again? Habit be... like the securities, the
1: security experts. It's hard to say that in English. So. He called it Israel Defense and Security for IDSF. And you know, many times when you have a name IDSF, within time, people don't really know what it stands for. Yeah. So many times now when people say to me, ah, IDSF, IDSF, what does it stand for? I say IDF superstar.
0: That's us. Okay. And he has a whole network of uh, former IDF officers, generals, intelligence, all the different branches of the military or part of his movement. To shape and impact the security debate in Israel, and also to help counsel advise, update, inform uh, leaders in Washington and elsewhere on Israel's security challenges and needs. We really appreciate your time. Once again, all the best in your efforts and your travels. You've got some videos coming out soon that we'll share with the Christian audience explaining some of these things, and we look forward to that. And uh, we just appreciate everyone joining in with us here on this week's ICEJ Weekly Webinar from Jerusalem. We hope you've uh, enjoyed it, been informed. Maybe uh, one more important
1: thing. Yes. Yeah, we're broadcasting today, and today is the first day of the month of Nisan. Nisan, yes. In Nisan, the people of Israel were saved. And it says that in Nisan, redemption will happen again. Okay. The very important months for us, the
0: month of redemption. Yes. The deliverance and redemption. We do sense we had our global prayer gathering yesterday, hundreds of people joining us, and we sense there's something momentous coming up here in the month of Nisan, the convergence of Passover season and Ramadan and the Palestinian terror and the Iranian threat and and many other things that uh, who knows what's going to happen. But if we pray, seek God, it will all turn out good for Israel. I'll give you a warm shalom from Jerusalem. God bless you.